there's a, a term I'll always be raising. And I, I don't think it's that uh, as a CEO. I think it's always be cultivating. So ABC um, in that you're you're looking for affinity and connection with people throughout your journey. Um, it's it's not that you're okay. I'm six months out and and now I'm gonna uh, look for investors. You're finding people each step of the way that you know have an alignment and that you start building a relationship um, with. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we talk about the entrepreneurs shaping the future of health and the health moonshots they're working to achieve. I'm Logan Plaster, Editor-in-Chief at Startup Health. So COVID-19 has presented a bit of a paradox to economists. Many have written about a K-shaped response to the pandemic, where some parts of the market expand and grow significantly while others contract. We've seen this contrast play out a bit in health innovation, where on one hand, digital health adoption is at historic highs. Telemedicine, remote monitoring, and digital therapeutics are exploding. At the same time, many investors are wary. We've heard stories of investors calling to hold off on wiring funds, of VCs halting new investments, and of angel investors deciding to significantly cut back check size. In other words, despite the obvious need for virtual care in a COVID world, raising money has come with major challenges in 2020. So we decided to bring in two founders from the Startup Health family who had successfully raised millions in the middle of COVID to learn how they handled the bumps in the road. Our guests were Linda Brown-Gansert, CEO and founder of Curatio, and Richard Hambury, CEO and founder of Sauna Health. Both joined Startup Health's expert office hours recently to share their insights in a conversation moderated by Katya Hancock, Startup Health's Investor Network Director. We learned a lot from what they went through, and we present the full session to you now. Hope you enjoy. Uh, well, it's great to be here with everybody today. Um, looking forward to today's discussion um, with Richard Hanbury and Linda Brown-Gansert from Sana Health and Curatio, respectively. Um, you know, a lot of you are raising capital right now um, or, or planning to in the near future. Um, you know, it's, it's a different landscape, as, as you all know, than it ever has been. People are not having face-to-face meetings. Um, everything is remote. People have many, many different things that they're dealing with in their lives in addition to their jobs. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to have this dialogue today with two health transformers who have closed rounds during the pandemic. Um, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Um, and talk a little bit about um, the rounds that they closed and, uh, you know, what kinds of investors and a little bit about the experience. Um, and we had a prep call yesterday and there's a lot of lessons learned, a lot to unpack um, that I think are helpful with or without a pandemic, but also with a pandemic. Um, so feel free to pop your questions in the chat as always. Um, but why don't we kick off with you, Linda, to introduce yourself um, and, you know, just give a high level um, kind of overview of your experience, and you can keep it short to start, and then we'll unpack it um, about raising your round, what it looks like, how it came together, and, and kind of how the pandemic w- made it a different experience than normal. Sure. Okay, great. Um, hi, everyone. Um, lovely to be virtually connected. So I'm, I'm Linda. I'm founder and CEO of Curatio, and uh, we closed our pre-Series A or post-seed um, 
early June. So um, we were raising right as the pandemic started um, and then as it started to kind of crust and, and we all started to realize this is going to be a, a serious issue. So um, it was, there are definitely some challenges and I'm happy to, happy to run into them, but there were also some opportunities. Um, and so we had uh, we had kicked off um, socializing the round the previous fall, and we had won a pinch competition, which was really helpful too. Um, and uh, and came with a term sheet out of out of Connecticut, great group, and went um, went hard into the new year, starting in January on a full on sort of raise. Um, so we're socializing, and in November, December, came back after the holidays and went full bore into it. Um, lots, I mean, you guys all know this, right? It's, I don't know, 101 to, you know, 10 to 1 um, in terms of meetings to kind of connection rate, but um, lots of meetings, lots of really good um, momentum, lots of people interested in, in following and participating, but not leading. So we headed into the pandemic with, um, you know, some really strong soft circles behind us, but not a strong lead. Um, and so uh, we were trying to kind of round that out. Uh, and so um, it was interesting for um, for us, and I, I can tell you more about how we structured it, but in a matter of days, um, you know, we went from being a nice to have solution to a need to have. And as we started to grapple with, oh my goodness, how are we gonna support outpatients? Um, how are we gonna address mental health? Um, how are we gonna impact adherence? How do we do, um, you know, navigation and support for patients at a distance? Um, it, you know, it, it started to be apparent that Curatio um, was, was a great solution um, for that. So, um, you know, the round, we, we marched very firmly to a deadline. Um, it felt quite critically that um, in order to really be of best service to um, the pandemic and the needs that we needed to get the round closed sooner than later. Um, and, you know, some timing considerations, um, you know, I think had we um, had, had we taken a different approach to timing, um, we may have had some different options, but it was important to me that we um, that we got you know back to work and um, and back into supporting the pandemic as quickly as possible. Um, and so we we had two um, funds that wanted to partner and come in for the full round, made it really simple. We really liked the teams. It was a good fit, and that's what we ended up um, closing um, at the end of May. Awesome. Um, that, there's a lot to unpack there, um, but I want to give Richard a chance to introduce himself um, and, and, and kind of give your your high level as well. Certainly, thanks. Um, I'm Richard Hambry, CEO of Sonnet Health, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just occurring to me that this is expert office ads. I am certainly no expert in this, um, but I am now. Uh, I, I, I've got thousands of mistakes to to avoid avoid making because we, we've done a lot of things wrong and, and learned along the way. Um, so we'll, we'll try and pass on as many of those, as many of the most important ones of those as we can. Um, we were we were doing a road and close. Um, uh, we were in talks with uh, a big corporate. Um, we were under a, a no shot clause. Um, that went through the start of COVID um, into when I was in the hospital for open heart surgery. Um, after that, and then two days before we were due to close with them, they pulled out. Um, and then two days later, I had a, another um, completely new lead um, who um, allowed us to close around. So we closed uh, two so far. 
and we're now raising um, a further three um, because realistically, I think Q4 and in, into Q1 next year, uh, we're looking at some extremely unpleasant um, macro situations that that, that are uh, possible, if not likely, to evolve uh, with political upheaval smashing into um, economic problems, smashing into COVID. Um, so we, yeah, so we're, so we're out raising more. Um, yeah, lots of lots of lessons learned all the way around. All the things that are sort of more true uh, than standard raising because of COVID. Um, some of the limitations, but I think there are actually, um, to Linda's point, more uh, more things that are actually made easier because of COVID than 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 there are than there are overall problems. Um, as long as you are um, directly addressing people's concerns and uh, using the advantage of COVID and Zoom, which is you can go through meetings and qualify people and have them qualify you more quickly than you could have done before. Um, so that's the high level. That's great. And um, Jenny from Helpful, um, I'm going to ask you to come off mute and ask your question because I was actually going to go in this direction too. Both Richard, Richard and Linda uh, talked about finding a lead. Um, and I, that's really something that a lot of founders struggle with is, you know, I, how can I find a lead? How can I find a lead? Um, Linda, do you want to, I'm sorry, Jenny, do you want to come off mute and, and just kind of expand on your question about finding a lead? Sure. Thanks. Yeah. So just, uh, I was, um, you're laying out your map, your journey sounded a lot like, uh, our experience. Um, but we haven't, you know, we haven't, we haven't closed, we've sort of pulled back actually. And so especially lots of interest to, to follow, not to lead. And so just wondering, was part of it just, you know, great serendipity of uh, the relevance of Curatio in the, in uh, the midst of the pandemic, or were there other factors that helped you kind of unearth uh, the leads to close your round? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I, th I think, uh, you know, finding a lead is hard, right? Because there's so much work um, that they have to do and they're taking the front role and depends on what else they're, you know, working on their deal flow and such. Um, I think in part, that's why um, we ended up choosing the two groups um, that we did because they could move quickly. They made that commitment to us um, that as a lead, they would move through due deal in six weeks um, and that they closed on 100% of their term sheets. And, you know, I, I didn't even think um, to ask that question. I ask a whole bunch of other questions when I'm qualifying um, a, a fund or an investor to see if it's a fit before we, you know, we, we take each other's time. Um, but that's a really important question to ask is, you know, what percentage of your term sheets have you closed on and how long did that take? Because I knew that the faster that we could get back to the work at hand and being of service, to people around the world during this pandemic, the more the more traction um, we would have and growth. And so it was a bit of a trade-off um, because it wasn't necessarily the strongest term sheet, but it with that commitment of um, timing and um, and 100% close, that kind of sealed um, sealed the deal. But now I know too to look for that kind of lead, right? The the kind of lead that wants to lead. Um, you know, prides themselves on closing is founder friendly um, and efficient. And so, um, I mean, that was, 
it, for us, it was looking at who was in front of us, the term sheets we had, and where we think we could move fastest, um, not necessarily the highest valuation. Um, and that's what was maybe a bit different during a pandemic, because maybe in a different time, we would have said, okay, well, let's take the time, work with the highest um, valuation, but, but we didn't. Um, we decided to move quickly on it. Can I just ask a quick follow-on? Do you think without the pandemic, um, those two would have uh, been stepping up in the way that they did, or was it sort of situational? Hmm. So we got to know them before the pandemic. So I knew that they liked the team, they liked the leadership, they liked the solutions. So that was all there. Um, but certainly, um, you know, we had even more interest after we closed um, with people not knowing that we had a term sheet just, you know, just because of the market need. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, it it was it, it was interesting. Um, I remember I remember Pauline and the Startup Health Gang always talk about marching towards that timeline and setting the timeline, driving the process. And certainly um, the pandemic helped with that um, and, and setting that date. Thanks. We talked about that um, a bit yesterday, Linda, about creating, even if it's an artificial deadline, you know, creating urgency, creating scarcity. Um, do you feel like that helped get those leads to the table, the fact that there was a deadline? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're all human, right? And so, I we just seem to work better towards um, towards a deadline. And you know, as as entrepreneurs, like time is our most precious resource, right? As a CEO, your time is the most precious thing. And so, you can just be, you know, as you all know, you've been caught up in fundraising for months and months. Um, so, I think it's really important. And and startup health always says this, right? Like, you know, um, march towards a timeline. Um, you know, be a buyer, not a seller right interview who you want to work with um, this is as much about what's going to work for your company as as it is on uh, what's going to work for the fund absolutely and that mindset can really shift the conversation um, Natalie why don't you come off mute and ask your question hi hi Linda thanks for uh, speaking with us today can you guys hear me okay yes. yeah Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, you you mentioned the um, the uh, what was the time frame when you when you say you asked uh, how many term sheets have you closed on recently? Did you say six weeks? Did you say did you give a time frame to that? Um, so there's two parts to that question that you want to ask is um, the first part is of the term sheets that you've put out, let's say in the past year or the past quarter, depending on the size yeah. of the fund, what percentage have you closed? And then how long does it take you to go through due deal? Okay, awesome. Thank you. Great. Um, so Richard, I want to unpack a couple of things that you talked about. Um, one is um, simple, which is you mentioned the no shop clause. You agreed to a no shop clause that was too long. Um, you now have a lot of perspective about how long you think it should have been. Can you share your thoughts around that? I think that could be really helpful for folks. Yeah, I mean, so, so we, we signed one that was 90 days um, and we thought we were gonna be um, well closed within that time. Um, 
if your runway is not much more than 90 days, you can't do that. Um, you know, there is a, um, so, so, so just, just to back up a bit, anybody who doesn't have a specific large benefit from um, having corporates as a lead, um, my advice was just don't do it. Um, as if there is a specific, this would completely transform a business in the way that we want to transform it. And we're certain about that. And we have the data that proves that's the right way to do it. Um, that's a, that's a, that's, you know, obviously that's a good way to go. Um, we had a corporate that agreed with what we thought we wanted, but we weren't naive enough to know, to think that we knew the answers. And therefore we were like, unless the data and market feedback says differently. The market data did say differently and they didn't care. Um, they wanted to do what their objectives were, regardless of what risk that put the company at. So, 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 so super care on that front. Um, I do think to Linda's point about um, questions, it's, it's important to have your cheat sheet, um, you know, on your computer screen next to your, uh, next to your Zoom ready. Um, so that you don't just get carried away with the process of answering their questions and that you do, do drill down into exactly what is going to make sense for you because that is um, absolutely going to speed up um, uh, speed up the, the, the overall process. Um, so the, yeah, so on the no shop clause, it's like, okay, if someone wants three months, why do they want three months? Are they actually anticipating that it's going to take them that long? Um, yeah, you know, now looking back, I should have said, okay, 30 days and we can renew at 30 days, um, as long as we've made enough progress towards the, the, the final goal that we, we both believe we are going to get there. Um, 90 days just allowed them to be, um, typically corporate in the way they were approaching it. So can you share any other red flags? Um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. that you wish you had paid attention to? I mean, this was obviously a potential investor that wasted a lot of your time. And, it, you know, you fortunately found another lead at the last minute, but it could have gone the other way. So absolutely. anything else that you, you, you look back? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, that, so um, one VC said to me, you never know what a VC is thinking anyway. Um, but generally speaking, as a huge overall um, uh, um, generalization, corporates have a ton more political stuff going on behind the scenes than you will ever know. And the VCs, generally speaking, have a much more straightforward motivation of what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, so. You know, the, the first, the first of all is the, the corporates are a lot trickier uh, situation to deal with. But the broader one is that there's a saying that every time I ignore it, I get bitten really badly by it, which is the way someone does one thing is the way they do everything. So th this, this is sort of like, you know, everyone knows this from sort of uh, pre-COVID dating world of, you know, if, if your date is being rude to the wait staff, sooner or later, they're going to be rude to you. Um, if someone is negotiating in a way that you go, oh crap, I wouldn't want to deal with this in the boardroom, walk away immediately. <laughs> uh, 
because it's absolutely not going to get any better. We, I kidded myself really naively to think, oh, well, this is being driven by their lawyer. This isn't this, this, you know, she's being, this particular person is being helpful in other circumstances. So, you know, I'll expect her to be helpful, you know, when things move forward and we're just going to get through this negotiation. A hundred percent wrong. People will always act in the way that they're acting to you right now. It might take it until there is a, a crunch point, but if someone is being difficult to negotiate with and doing a death by a thousand cuts, they will do that to you afterwards as well. So yeah, it just, and it's a, you know, for a startup, especially when we're cash strapped, part of the reason I didn't see the danger early enough was I was like, great big corporate with flashy name, wonderful, woo-ha, um, you know, instant credibility, um, solving all these other problems. Uh, no, um, you know, we are all CEOs um, and therefore we are the experts in what our company can and can't do. Yes, lots of people have got other, advi uh, other advice, which we should always um, listen to and then ignore if we don't like it or, or we figure out how to test their ad advice. But ultimately, we all know our business is better than anybody else ever looking in from the outside. And I forgot that. Um, I, I allowed myself to go, okay, well, they must know this, this, and this about this disease indication. No, they didn't. They just they were just being driven by particular needs, um, and they're human. And to you, it's you know to all of us, it's our life and soul, and we all care about it a ton more than anybody else ever will. Um, and so, yeah, the, the trust your gut thing is like you, you have to do it. Um, and even like looking back now, I wish I'd gone. You know what? I don't have an alternative lined up, but I can't get an alternative unless I ditch this. And looking back now, had that deal gone ahead, it would have already killed our company. We would have just been a dead man walking. And that was only six weeks ago. So yeah, wow. trust yourselves, everyone. <laughs> trust yeah. yourselves and try and prove or disprove any advice you're given. It's such a good reminder, you know, go, go with your gut, don't ignore it. Um, Alpita Shah, why don't you come off mute and ask your question? Hi, so um, I just wanted to see how we can create an investor funnel to approach, like how do you um, nail down which, which uh, investors to approach and, you know, uh, any, any guidelines on those? Um, my, my, my simple one on that, and then, then um, Linda to, to jump in, is basically um, we did a lot of, so we, we ended up doing sort of a long rolling close and then a first close. Um, the existing investors did a lot. And our second lead ended up coming from one of our smallest and most helpful investors saying, oh, you should talk to these guys. Um, in COVID, because you haven't got the face-to-face, -face, um, an existing investor, however small, saying, you know, I, I like these guys and I've been an investor for a year and I've seen them do X. That is epically more valuable than, um, uh, than, than a cold intro. So, you know, look, look so my, my, my top advice is do, do a better job than we did of looking after your all of your smallest investors 
and getting any intro you can because even if they give you an intro that is not a really good fit and you speak to those people and you say and you figure out in the first 10 minutes that they're not a great fit those people then introducing you to someone else is still better than any kind of cold call um so yeah use your use your network even if it's not perfect and then get into the the, the better deals so would you say a LinkedIn or what, what, um, uh, what would be the best way to get the network or uh, form the network? Um, so, I mean, so, so start with, I mean, I personally start with your cap table, um, then your employees and who they know. Um, then, I mean, and, 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 and it is, and, and, and here on Startup Health, you know, go through companies that are similar to you and ask them, you know, who were the people that you spoke to that um, you think we might be a good fit for? You know, we're all we're all here to help each other, and everyone's um, everyone you know who is on a call like this is 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 willing. Um, and if you can get that down to like a brief in, like the, the key thing for asking for help from anyone is make it really short and really easily actionable, so someone can look at your email and in ten seconds go oh, they should talk to this person or that person. Like, if you can make it that simple, then you can ask for a lot more help than you, you probably realize you can. And I definitely start there. And then some of these sort of um, events like Resi, where you can shotgun uh, your approach with a lot of people, end up with a couple of people who are interesting, and then ask those people, who do you think we're a good fit for? I do, I do have a really strong belief that if you are going to spend an hour of your time with an investor, um, they owe you honesty um, on why they're saying no, and if they think there are anybody who is who might be a better fit than them, that they give it to you. Um, I now I, I I I didn't used to do this, but now I'm pretty brutal. I tell people if they're not going to. If, and I tell them politely, but I tell them, if you're not going to tell you, me your specific things that you don't like and specific things that would be the right milestones in the next round for you to be interested in the next round, then I'm literally not going to talk to you ever again because you've just wasted an hour of my time. And I do it as politely as I can the first time, but then I get like, no, 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 you're fobbing me off with uh, you're not quite there yet kind of stuff. And the best investors will never do this anyway. The best investors will always give you something useful in their response. Um, but I, I really think it is, you know, we need to value our time in a way that says, no, 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 no. I've spent an hour of my time with you. Therefore, you owe me, you owe me an honest answer. Because most of the time, they're not giving an honest answer. Not because, I mean, the, the theory is that they're afraid of offending people. Therefore, they wouldn't be interested in the next round. Unfor I, I think that answer is, frankly, BS. It's laziness and lack of time. People are just trying to churn through a lot of numbers and you're just another bit of noise. So there is no harm at all in saying, no, 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 I, I really want your honest opinion here um, because that's going to help me and otherwise I've just wasted an hour of my time. And if you do this and you're honest with me, I'll tell the next entrepreneur that I talked to that you gave honest feedback. It's valuable. Does that answer your question? I think that's Yes, that was great, great insight. Thank you. Yeah, and if you check the chat, Alpita, there, there is, um, if you haven't looked at it recently, the Startup Health IQ database um, does track 
the VC fundings in our space. So you can also look, as Unity said, in the past 12 months and even six months, um, you know, which investments have happened in your category, in your size, break down, you know, which VCs you should be targeting. So it's a good starting point um, in terms of building your funnel. Linda, did you want to add something there? Just a few things um, to Richard's great points. Um, there's there's a, a term I'll always be raising, and I, I don't think it's that uh, as a CEO. I think it's always be cultivating. So ABC, um, in that you're you're looking for affinity and connection with people throughout your journey. Um, it's it's not that you're okay. I'm six months out, and and now I'm gonna uh, look for investors. You're finding people each step of the way that you know have an alignment, and that you start building a relationship. Um, with and then you keep them updated right so you know whether it's a quarterly report or sharing good news you know bring them along on your journey and then to Richard's point I mean start in you know sort of concentric circles where you know, you've got startup health, you've got your cap table, um, you hopefully have your circle, which is super valuable, and then start building out from, from there. You know, so often we go wide first and then down, and we start with, you know, we do our practice pitches on who would be on our A-list in, instead of, um, you know, trying out some Bs and, and Cs. So, um, you know, make, um, build those relationships constantly, you know, keep people updated, bring them along in the journey, um, be disciplined, um, which I have work to do on on creating that, whether it's an Excel or a CRM, on on charting that and um, understanding, you know, when the relationship started, what they're interested in, um, and then um, making sure that you, as you're building that network, that you're um, making direct asks of, of of that network for it, you know, whether it's introductions or or other um, other help that you need. Thanks, Linda. Awesome. Um, okay. And um, Natalie has a question about revenue minimums. Um, either Richard or Linda or even Barry could chime in on that one since we, we see so many term sheets. Um, Natalie, do you want to um, come up mute and expand on your question? Yes, I'm just thinking um, about what is the consensus of what a four to five year revenue EBITDA uh, financials minimum, which would make a digital health company VC investable as opposed to not VC investable. Um, I'll give a very quick answer. Linda will probably give a, a much more um, useful answer. But my quick answer would be um, that question, as in everything else, will depend very largely on the size and the mechanics of the fund. Because um, you know, a, two, a $500 million fund is going to need to see a certain size for any individual investment so that their one out of 10 um, pays back their fund. Whereas you know, a $20 million fund might have a totally different, I, I would expect to have a totally different horizon of what matters to them. Um, and so, you know, you should, I, my, my opinion is that you should be asking that question by average size, by the size of the fund. Linda, did you, did you want to chime in on that? 
Yeah, I, I think it depends what type of offering you know, service, um, product, SaaS, not SaaS. Like I, I think it does. Um, it does vary. Uh, so in SaaS, there's a there's a model that's roughly used, and there's some good reading. If, um, I can share it if anyone's interested. Um, but I think you know to to Richard's point, I, everybody wants to see the hockey stick, in, including you. Um, but I, I think there's two things. Um, is the you know, be realistic in in where you think the next year you're going to be, and and then and then be increasingly optimistic. But you you want to kind of ground um, where you really are and build that trust because, you know, if if you're if you're forming a relationship, you're like, oh yeah, we're going to 10x revenue next year, and um, and and let's say someone believes that, and then you get in and you can't deliver on it, you've just fractured a lot of. Um, a lot of trust and relationship um, value that you've that you've built there. So it does. It depends on what kind of business you are. There is a lot of good um, investor types of documents of how do you value this type of business, this type of business, and it's worth reading, right? It's worth getting into their mindset to see what they're looking at. Um, and you know that's how to qualify too. Like so often you'll get that associate, you know, that wants an hour of your time, and um, you know they're just doing their job. And so your job is to find out right away like you know what what are they looking for are they looking for 10 million ARR it's too early you know nice to make a connection have a five-minute chat but move on um, so you'll you'll find that um, like the more you just get into their mindset and to Richard's point what they need to return because their job is to make those returns um, the better you can align um, with, with what what they need and then related to that we oh go ahead Linda well, I'm just seeing here, small fund, smaller return expected in general. I, not necessarily. Um, yeah, not necessarily. And it depends on, to, um, you know, how much dilution you're taking, where they're coming in, um, in your development. Um, yeah, and, and Barry just said also depends on stage of investment. Um, you know, and, and in terms of five-year, uh, a lot of funds that we talk to, um, you know, they're just looking for even your most recent ARR and what you hit last year, um, but really they're looking for year-over-year -year growth. Um, like Linda said, they want to see that hockey stick. So um, I wouldn't say there's an industry standard for a number because the types of products um, and business models vary so much. Um, there was a good expert office hours earlier this, this year with Andrew Isaacs around valuations. Too, if you if you were on that one or if you weren't, um, there's a post about it on the Health Transformer with some really good um, tangible tips about how to how VCs evaluate deals and set valuations. Um, so that's that's worth checking out along this vein as well. Um, you know, there's something I, I would love to talk to you about, Linda, and we briefly talked touched on this at the end of our call um, yesterday. You know, last year, 2019. Um, there was a record broken of um, the percentage of female founders that got VC funding, and that record was 2.8%. So that's pretty freaking sad. Um, I actually saw an article that said a record was broken, which is like the wrong way to put it. Um, but, you know, congratulations to you, Linda, because you're one of those female founders, and it's a sad reality that it is harder for women to raise venture capital than men. Um, and I would love for you to share um, anything you learned that you think was particularly helpful um, as a female. Obviously, you're a, a phenomenal CEO 
regardless of gender. Um, but what what was your experience like um, relative to being a female founder, um, raising capital, and, and anything that you could share with your fellow female founders? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's definitely um, there's definitely a lot of challenges um, and, uh, and 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 sexism still out there. Um, I, I think we're we have a great set of investors and a wonderful board and um, just really fantastic people. But you know, back to that point is it's you're as much of a buyer as a as a seller, and you're looking um, for that affinity. Um, I mean, that said, it's really, really hard. And, you know, sometimes I just felt like I was in a Pokemon game and I didn't know any of the characters. I didn't have any of the cards. I didn't have any of the power. And I was completely out of my element. And our first two raises that we did, I did on my own. Um, and that was that was hard and, um, and, and lonely, but also easier because we were earlier on in the company. Um, and you know, I should probably should have learned this after the first time. The second time, I'm like, okay, this is a team sport, and uh, I need to build a great team um, around me in terms of doing uh, doing this next round. So, um, I had you know one one board member in particular who was just phenomenal in finance background, and he he had my back um, the entire time. Really good legal counsel. Um, that just uh, leaned in, you know, answered a lot of my stupid questions. Um, a great partnership with our chief growth officer and um, and bringing him into the mix. Um, so, you know, took a very different kind of team approach. And, you know, previously I thought, well, I don't want to detract anyone from working on the business and, you know, I'll just tough it out and go it on my own. And um, I don't think that's, that's the way to do it. And the reason why, and this is what dawned on me is, um, this might sound really simple, but, Investing is all about relationships and um, whether you trust someone or not. And there's that, we still have that lizard part in the back of our brain that is always assessing, um, you know, that risk trust. Is this, is this someone, um, is this a safe situation or not? Can I relate to this or not? Is this different or the same? And as much as we try, even the most, um, aware investor is is still looking for that common ground and so when you create a team approach to fundraising you're broadening the connection you're broadening the sameness because you might be um, the only woman or you bring another woman into the team um, but they also diversify diversifying gender diversifying culture diversifying background and age because the more you can see that the more you're going to connect um, and form those trusted relationships. Um, so that was a really key learning point. And it's, you know, it's human nature, right? We're all looking to de-risk any situation. It's survival. Um, and we don't realize our brains are doing it, um, but they are. And so the more I think you can just come to terms with that and then through your success as a female founder start changing things, then, then away we go. But it's easier to change things from a position of strength. Um, so that was my approach. I just That's so true. Go ahead, Richard. Um, because because we're going after fibromyalgia, um, I, I I've spoken to come a, come a lot of um, uh, people who uh, VCC focus on um, companies that deal with women's health, um, and there are a couple of those that we specifically did not get the investment from uh, because of my gender. So um, on the flip side of the coin, um, you know, if you find yourself in that position, um, 
Absolutely. Make sure you know exactly who any potential investors are in your area who focus on women founders. Um, and because you'll find that there are a chunk that actually have mandates that they're not allowed to invest not on women founders. Um, and even outside of that, if you had an experience of it being tough, um, which I presume all of you have based on, on, on some of the things Linda said, um, you know, I just target the target the women um, uh, VCs and, 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 you know, because they will have experienced other people who have experienced your position. And more importantly, they will know the value that you have gained in terms of your own knowledge and ability because of having those, uh, those difficulties. Um, and I'm saying this as a disabled person, we, we get this benefit. People kind of assume that, oh, life is really hard for a disabled person and therefore you must have a degree of competence above the average, unless they're gonna dismiss you out of hand. So either way, you know, don't necessarily assume it works against you, but look for the ways that it could help you. Great, um, and you know, along this same topic, we talked yesterday, both Linda and Richard, you talked about the people that you wrapped around you as, as the team and to help you with your raise. Um, and a couple things that, um, and Richard, maybe you can comment, um, it's complimentary to what Linda said, but um, you know, having people who have done a lot of deals um, at the table, on your side of the table. Um, can you talk about that and, and what that brought to the to the table? I said table a lot, but go for it. Yes, yeah, certainly. <laughs> so, so, so we 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 we've we've had helpful board members and people who um, are around, um, but then more recently, I've had one guy who um, has done a very large number of biotech deals and been an operator, um, and now we're gonna we're gonna pay him. Um, a not insubstantial amount of shares to be um, a, 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 an independent board, well, a, a board member that's representing the common stock. Um, and oh my God, is he adding way more value than the percentage of shares that we're giving him, even though that looks large from a market percentage. Um, uh, so it's really important to have someone on your side who's done a lot of deals, who is prepared to spend time with you advising you, that there's just no, um, that there's no substitute for that. You know, and it doesn't necessarily need to be someone in your particular area. It just needs someone who's done a lot of health deals overall. Um, just you know, have that person in your, in, in the people that you can call in, the, in, a, in, a, in, in any point of negotiations, because it really, really matters. Um, we had that in our lawyers to a certain degree as well, but you need this to someone who's not um, on the clock every time you call them. Yeah, totally agree. Um, we've found that a lot um, in our fundraising at Startup Health. Um, first of all, we've got we've got Barry crying full time, so we're lucky there. Um, but also have had folks advising us who, you know, when people see so many deals and that's their bread and butter, there's a, we talked about there's this pattern recognition um, and they can really help you identify flags, um, you know, at kind of at every step of the way. Um, Linda, do you have anything to add on that topic? Yeah, I, I would just say if you can, um, like having a good relationship with your board or your advisor group, um, if you don't have a board yet, is, is really important. And that board can be, um, and, 
for for me, one one particular individual who's got a finance background has been through a ton of this, um, because the board has they can in a way not not be the bad cop, but they can, you know, if they know you, they know the business, they can reflect back maybe some things that you're not seeing or some blind spots. So, um, you know, bring them into your team or bring that person on your board or advisory group that's got that finance background, has been through it, um, and can help you avoid some big mistakes. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 330 companies, go to startuphealth.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.